coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Marketing spending tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars on content. You have 500 salespeople. And just what would it look like if once a week, just those 500 people shared something to combat that, you know, negative brand strategy that the competition is, you know, they would call it FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Competition's doing everything they can to knock your brand down. What can your own employees do to negate that and build the brand up? Do you want to learn the tricks the top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, Episode 30. This episode's interesting fact is, well, actually, I have two. Number one, B2B brands fare better with customers when they use emotive rather than rational marketing messages. And number two, 89% of B2B marketers say brand awareness is the most important goal, followed by sales and lead generation. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Sima Dahl, who knows a thing or two about marketing and branding. After a successful 20-year career in corporate marketing and branding, Simadal founded Sway Factory, Inc., to help business professionals build personal brands that mean business. She has shared her revenue-generating Sway Factor system for clients from Boston to Budapest, including Microsoft, Harley-Davidson, Jones Lang LaSalle, and associations large and small. Sima's clients say she's the only one that has made business sense out of all the social media madness. Sima, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's completely my honor. Thank you for asking. It's my pleasure, and I'm super excited to talk to you. And I would love to begin with this idea of personal brand. Tell us about it, please. What is a personal brand, and why is it so critical for people and for companies to develop? Well, let's start at the top, shall we? A brand is what I like to call a promise. Um, It's an idea of feeling and emotion um, that you have an affinity for a product or a service. So when we think about that for ourselves in the personal branding capacity, I like to say it's just how people think of you when you're not in the room, how they refer to you, how you are etched in their uh, mental Rolodex, if you will. Okay, that's very interesting. So when you talk about a promise, do you mean that if I buy your product or if I engage with you as a provider, anything like that, that I have a certain set of expectations that I can assume I will receive as a result of that? Absolutely. And and with a strong brand or a strong promise comes loyalty. It drives uh, revenue. And when you introduce new products, new services, you have a, a market ready to listen. And so it's it's actually really difficult to do. Uh, of all the marketing disciplines, branding is often misunderstood because it's difficult to do and it is tough to measure. Companies that measure their brand spend a lot of energy and often resources doing that. So the other thing about branding is not a one and done. It's a consistent effort over time and consistent messaging across a multitude of touch points. So companies that have a strong brand, the ones you're, you know, you're thinking of in the back of your head right now, uh, be it, you know, a, a beverage or your favorite drive through or a B2B brand, 
like a software provider, um, they do branding behind the scenes, whether we're aware of it or not. So what would be an example of that behind the scenes work that you're describing? Behind the scenes, let's say a user experience. So the ease of navigation on your website, the ease of purchase, the customer support that you receive when something goes wrong, all of that ultimately can impact how you perceive a brand. And so we as as consumers, as buyers, often don't think about it in that way. But I guarantee there's a brand marketer in that organization at some point saying, you know, we're, we're spending all this money to build this brand and then the consumer doesn't have an easy purchase path or, you know, our tech support is failing them. Sure. And at the personal level, it's, it's critical because we, we live in this age of referral, in this age of um, what can I find out about you before I engage with you? So we have all manner of ways to learn something about somebody before we even return a phone call. And if you work in a large organization, how do you raise your visibility? I One of my clients is 89,000 people, really easy to get lost. So how do you become known for something? I really think it applies to you know anybody who either owns a business, manages their career, or sells something for a living really needs to think about how they're known, how they're remembered. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, there's a lot to unpack here, Simon. Of course, I think probably the best way to develop your brand is to work with experts such as Sima, you know, to really understand the intricacies. But you did allude to the fact that it's tough to do and hard to measure. But you also gave us one nugget, which is to be consistent in your messaging and to try to make sure that there's a consistent, positive experience, if you will, or output for the consumer. Are there any other tips that you can give our listeners who are trying to build either a personal brand or a part of a company and build that organizational brand that they could be thinking about besides for consistency that's going to typically point them in the right direction? Okay, that's that's a big question. So let me start by saying, while I advocate consistent messaging across all touch points, that's not to say that a person or an organization is, is stuck there forever. You can affect a brand pivot. In fact, I'm going through one myself and, and have, in looking at my career, I've done several. So it's, it's not a forever. I like to remind people we're not etching anything into your tombstone, it, it, right? So it's all the ways you go to market, even at a personal level, everything from your elevator pitch to your email signature should be on brand. But the idea then is to understand how you want to be known. And for people, that is often difficult because they, many of us think of ourselves by the job title, by the job description, and really our aspirations are somewhere else. They're a little bit to the left, to the right. We want to make a shift. And so we have to go sort of against grain to reposition ourselves. Organizations do the same thing as they refocus their target buyers, if they brought in their suite of services, if they make a major technology shift. And, you know, it's hard now to keep the conversation going on both sides of the house because at some level, the way we as individuals manage a personal brand, while I use marketing speak to describe that, is very different at the organizational level. I think the one, the one point I'd like to make for your listeners is that progressive companies today understand that their employee 
personal brands can be an asset. So if you think about the intersection of, of, of a business brand, an employer brand, you know, the ease with which you recruit and fill your talent funnel, and then the personal brand. I mean, everything revolves around the individual people. And today we're looking everybody up. We're looking at who your people are, who I might be working with, engaging with. And so to the extent that you empower your employees to promote themselves in the organization offline, but also online lifts up your business brand and helps strengthen your employer brand. And that's really hard for more conservative companies to embrace. They still tell me, I don't want my employees to look too good. We don't want them to be found and recruited away. But, you know, I argue that when they're ready to leave, they're going to leave anyway. Yeah, I hear you. And I'd love to come back to that very shortly. But the first thing I wanted to ask you, because you did in a very in a very proper way, you did redirect my question. So I'd like to stay with that redirection for a second in the sense of when in the lifeline, if you will, of branding, you know, we've seen companies, Coca-Cola to me is the company that jumps out the most where they try to pivot and it backfired. I'm talking about New Coke and then other variations therein. And so my question to you is, are there any types of tips, any types of indicators that would that would suggest that now, when I say now, I mean, whatever that now might be, is a good time for a company to move away from its historic branding and to pivot in a different direction? That's another big question. I would say a couple things come to mind. First is when your customers tell you so, and often they will, if you're dialed in and listening, you know, for much of my 20 year corporate career, I was in high tech, 13 years in high tech marketing. And the intimacy of the, of the product roadmap in the customer relationship um, cannot be overemphasized. So in working closely with your customers, they'll tell you what they need, where their businesses are going, how you can best serve them. You know, so at some point, a company looks at their, at their clients What's the easiest sell? Where do we deliver the best service? And perhaps that wasn't what we started out thinking, but we're really providing real value here. And so uh, in seeing where your customers want to go and where they're taking you is a, is a really big indicator. Oftentimes, it's something beyond your control, which is, is never fun. So um, there is a, a major market shift. A technology becomes outdated. It's one that you've been you know, going to market on or a, a new trend emerges. So, you know, we think about disruptive brands like Uber and there's so many more to follow. Airbnb, you know, I just booked a trip the other day and it, I bought the airfare and my girlfriend bought the um, the room. We're going to see a concert in Nashville. It's a complete girls road trip. And she said, I, I got us an apartment. I said, oh, Airbnb. And she said, no orbits. They offer that now to compete with Airbnb. And it just struck me as so fascinating. Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't even know that, which is interesting. Why hasn't Orbitz marketed that service to me? The, the other one that comes to mind is Tide. Tide laundry detergent was my mom's favorite. I can still see the orange box. Of course, now we have Tide pods and all manner of things. The other day I walk out of my, my condo building and there's a giant Tide truck completely branded. They're doing pickup and delivery laundry service. 
And I thought, okay, that's a brand pivot that makes total sense. I buy that emotionally, but I never saw it coming. Mm, interesting. So let's go back. I do appreciate, by the way, you go, you moving with me here through some of these deeper questions because this is such a fascinating area for me as I continue to try to build my own brand. You, you know, you might warn a girl to eat her Wheaties next time and kind of keeping <laughs> me on my toes. <laughs> yeah, well, this is unbelievable. But I try to go deeper with the you know with the <laughs> feedback you're giving me so that we could really understand your input and and mine your words for gold. So let's talk a little bit about this empowerment piece. You talked before about how some companies are resistant, but you're encouraging them to allow their employees uh, to get out there, to be empowered. Yet on the other hand, we find so often uh, that employees step out of line, forget the fact that they may become more marketable, but they may sometimes project things, personal views, political views, whatever it might be, that ultimately cast uh, a negative light potentially on a company and a company's brand. So how do you advise companies to maintain that, that fine line of, on the one hand, Put your employees out there, allow them to express themselves, let them say what's so great about their company and everything of that line. And at the same time, to have enough good common sense and contingencies, if you will, in place so that if they do, in fact, go overboard, there's a plan uh, how to handle that. Okay. So a couple of things come to mind. The first is culture. So if your company culture is such that when you walk by my desk, if I have Facebook open and I panic and quickly shut it down, that culture does not support employees supporting your brand online, promoting your brand online. So you really have to take a pulse on the culture. The second is training. And so the best way to approach is not a long list of what not to do, but here's what we encourage you to do. So training, supporting with content ideas. So month over month, I have clients who are sending out um, information about what the company is doing. And these are great things to share with your network. These are you know great links to share. We have open headcount. We offer a referral bonus really promoting the positive news that can be shared. And that means ongoing training, ongoing support, an onboarding policy. And I would also mention leading by example. So if your leadership, if your upline, if the people managers are hesitant or find themselves uh, nervous about sharing online, then that sends a message throughout the organization. So really getting buy-in, uh, at the top, you know, a lot of companies, their best advocates are people not in a position historically, stereotypically, perhaps to be a brand advocate. Maybe it's your person at the front desk. You know, maybe it's somebody who is in quality assurance deep in the IT department. It not necessarily is the product manager or the head of marketing, but I do like to see when the C-suite, however you know large the organization or small, there's always somebody in charge, get on board with the movement, if you will, because it just drives a culture, an openness to learning. And then to your point about what if something happens, something always will happen. <laughs> That's the nature of anything we do. So we have to right-size our thinking about what happens if we blow something up? You know, in the case of the of the worst, you know, Twitter nightmares, 
maybe somebody lost a job. Um, but, you know, we'd have to dig really deep to find a large organization that was, you know, put out of business because of a rogue tweet or a renegade post. I think the media, that's sensational news, so they share it. But for every mistake made, there are a million small, small, what do I want to say? I call them digital deposits, right? Small ways to strengthen a brand, lift up a brand. You know, by way of example, I just did, um, I was the, the closing keynote at a global sales kickoff for a large enterprise software company. So you have 500 salespeople in the room who use social media for prospecting. And marketing brought me in to teach them how to share corporate assets, story assets, marketing assets, case studies, blogs, all the good, you know, marketing spending tens of hundreds of thousands of dollars on content. You have 500 salespeople. And just what would it look like if once a week, just those 500 people shared something to combat that, you know, negative brand strategy that the competition is you know, they we call it FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Competition's doing everything they can to knock your brand down. What can your own employees do to, to negate that and build the brand up? I think that's a beautiful idea on so many levels, well beyond branding. The idea in general, when we have, let's call it negative thoughts in our head, or we have inner talk within an organization that is that is not what we want it to be. How could we both as the leaders of the organization, as well as people from the rank and file, do things to just pivot and change the tone and change the direction and create much more of an upbeat general direction? I love the idea. Thank you so much. That was really great. And if I could stay on, on the point, you mentioned Facebook and Twitter. So social media, as I mentioned in your bio, is one of the things that a lot of people are still struggling with, right? There are many challenges as well as great opportunities in social media. So tell me, please, how do you help your clients make sense of it all? What direction do you typically try to give them so that they could really optimize the experience and avoid those pitfalls? Okay. So are we speaking about the individual employee or business owner or the business brand at large? I would let you take it any way you want. I was thinking more on the business side, but certainly if you feel that it should move in a different direction, I'm cool with that. Okay. Well, we'll follow your lead. One of my very first keynotes that people still ask me for today is titled Social Media Myth or Magic Bullet. <laughs> and the truth is, especially for organizations in the B2B space, it's neither. I want everyone to see social media as a brand amplifier. Mm. So you've got to have phenomenal marketing, content assets. You have to be able to close a sale, a product that, you know, is in demand. When all of those things line up, we can begin to look at social media. So sometimes I'm speaking to a room full of small business owners and they want to know uh, how to get traffic to their Facebook page, their business page. And I say, well, what do you want them to do when they get to your Facebook page? We, well, we want them to like it. Okay, well, then how are they actually going to buy anything from you? Oh, well, they have to get to our website and then they have to fill out a form or they have to call us. And so I have to stop and say, with the size you are and the budget you have, why are we driving people to a destination where they can't even do ultimately what we want them to do, which is make a purchase? So some of it is completely unnecessary. 
you know, first and foremost, those social media outposts like Twitter, like Facebook, more often than not are designed to get people to your website. And so you have to have a lot of content. You have to have somebody dedicated to keep those conversations flowing and a website that's easy to use, easy to find, works well on a, on a mobile form factor. And depending on the size of your business, oftentimes those things aren't even in place. So I say, all right, let's just pump the brakes, forget Twitter. And by the way, tweeting once a year is embarrassing. So take it off your to-do list until it makes more sense. At a large, the largest organizational levels, oftentimes we have rogue Twitter handles promoting events, product launches, product releases, and, and the story still gets confused. So it really is about an integrated strategy for the company, but it should be driven by sales. And I believe, believe that branding marketing in its entirety is about supporting the sale. It's not about being well-known because that feels good. It's about being well-known so you can move product, deliver services. And so we really have to come back to what's the point? What do you hope to achieve? For some companies, getting involved in social media is just a means to dial in and listen more closely to their customers. Now, the the exception to that rule, and this is you know a big part of the work that I do, is how do your employees look on LinkedIn? Because when they call me or somebody refers me to somebody in your organization, I am going to Google them. I will find their LinkedIn. And I want to see if I'm going to make a big purchase with you and, and your team, I want to see who all is on that team. And so it really comes back to having individuals look great because they are an extension of the brand. But with respect to all the social media, sort of taking, you know, swallowing that bitter sanity pill doesn't make sense. And if so, what is a slower, more strategic way to roll out a thoughtful uh, social media campaign? There's so much gold in here, Sima. It's it's hard for me to unpack it, certainly with the time that we have remaining in our conversation. Uh, but there are two things that kind of jumped out at me just to reiterate before we transition. Number one, uh, not to say that social media isn't for everyone, but to really have your strategy in place and to know that you have the capacity to maintain such a strategy before you move forward, I think is really, really critical because sometimes people just jump in. They feel that there's this need to get onto social media and do something. <laughs> they don't really know quite. They yeah, don't really no, know. they're in a panic. Yeah, they don't really know they're what. They're totally panicked. But, they, but, they're, yeah. but they, they think they need to spend all this time on it. And sometimes, whether it's because the nature of your work, for example, the, the coaching work that I do, I oftentimes prefer to do it let's call it offline and real conversation because to me, mm-hmm. that's the most important way to engage with potential and existing clients. Or maybe it's another approach, but to really have a strategy behind it, I think is so, so important. And I thank you for, for reiterating and sharing that with such depth. And the other point that I, I feel really needs to be amplified as well is the idea that as we continue to think about leadership and teams, We also have to keep thinking about the individuals that comprise those teams, whether it's how they look on their LinkedIn profile, like you talked about, whether it's their level of engagement in social media, or just in general, sort of moving this away from branding, moving this away from anything we've been talking about, but just as far as, let's call it team 
management and leadership is concerned, you know, it's really, really important that we not forget about the individual in our quest to build the team and in our quest to advance the organization. And so I think you've given us a lot to think about uh, as leaders while we're engaging with others, right? How do I really make each person around me shine and empower them to be the very best for themselves as well as for the organizations that they're part of and that they support? Just a footnote on that whole idea. If, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're wondering how to begin, where do I start thinking about social? It, for me, it's often the easiest place to start is with the customer. How well do you know them? Where are they? And what is their use of social media? Are you where they are? And and oftentimes they're not looking for you on Twitter. They're on Twitter because they want to chat about the uh, National Hockey League. Right? Or they're on Facebook because they're keeping up with their grandkids and they don't want to hear from you there. So that's just a, a really easy way. And some businesses don't have a, a national sales target. You know, they're selling in a small geography. So, you know, a social media is a really big, broad rifle approach and it, it can be overkill. So uh, I guess the final word there is start with the customer in mind. Beautiful. Yeah. So let's shift a little bit from branding just to business. And because you have you have your own business and you've started, uh, I think you indicated multiple companies. If I'm wrong, I, I apologize. But either way, what would you say, Sima, was the single greatest challenge that you encountered uh, in starting your own company? Because one of the things we try to focus on at Le- in Lead to Succeed in our conversations is Areas where perhaps we would retro, you know, in retrospect, like to have done things a little bit differently, learning from people's experiences. So talk us through or walk us through uh, one particular thing that in retrospect you would have done differently uh, in formulating your business or perhaps in developing it further. (laughs) You want one particular thing. And I was going to ask you if you wanted the top 10 or the whole alphabetized list. (laughs) I'll take the top 27 (laughs) if you don't mind. Yeah. So unlike many people, Uh, who are probably listening right now, I went into business for myself almost on accident. Now, you you know, I don't believe these things happen on accident, but it was not a strategic decision. It was a stopgap measure because I had a lot of things going on it uh, personally. And my company that I worked for was acquired by another redundant hen cow, laid off. You've heard the story before. I had been doing some freelance work on the side and decided to just slow down, catch my breath, and continue to freelance and maybe enjoy summer. And that was 10 years ago this May. (laughs) So uh, the business chose me. A couple of things that I wish I had done differently. Uh, One is outsource the things I'm bad at sooner. And that's a long list. Um, You know, try to use your time to do the things only you can do. And in the beginning, the knee-jerk reaction is, but I can do this. I know how to do this. How hard is QuickBooks, right? So this idea of- I'll Or do I have, if I may jump in, or if, do I have the resources to bring you know multiple people in at this point? Exactly, exactly. But to the degree you can be clever and get things off your plate and focus on your gifts, those things only what you can do is huge. For me, the second thing I regret not doing sooner was hiring a business coach. And all the people I'm surrounded by now who have businesses like mine that are at the level I'm trying to get mine to, 
right? That wasn't very good English, but you're following me, right? So the people I aspire to be, they all have, uh, to this day, coaches, sometimes multiple coaches. And when you, when you hit a certain level, you know, high powered masterminds so that you can step away from the business and really look at it from a different perspective through somebody who's been there, done that. The other thing, and this is a big one for me, and I know I need to wrap it up, but I was very concerned in the beginning about perfection. And it's been hard for me to let that go. Trying to think through every what if scenario, what happens if, oh my gosh, is this good enough? All of that had me playing small and it had me holding back, delaying action, uh, really, really short sheeting my forward momentum. And now I'm in a much more confident mind space. That is, if we haven't thought through every what if scenario and one arises, I trust myself, I trust the people I work with to make it right. We will do everything in our power to make it right. We're good people. We are doing our best and we can handle when it goes wrong. As opposed to let's spend the next six weeks mapping out you know, a million different scenarios. Uh, yeah, it, it just, it's a, a very big shift to let go of perfection, particularly for those of us who came from the marketing world where, you know, our work had to be perfect. That's a big one. And that's a big mind shift to make early on. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So talking about shifts, we are now going to shift to our rapid fire segment. So the first one I have for you, Sima, is a hack for business travelers, since I know you travel quite a bit. A hack for business travelers that you could share. Oh, you know what I do? I take one of those multi-plug outlets. It's not an outlet. It's, it's you, I know, you know what you're like talking a, about. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and take a power strip with you that lets six people charge. So if you're hogging the one and only plug in the airport, you can invite all your friends to plug in right there with you. Oh, people neat. are always so grateful. Yeah, that's lovely. That's great. I spent 12 years there, but I'd love to get your take on this one. Best thing about living in Chicago. Oh, that's not fair. I mean, the best thing about living in Chicago is Chicago. <laughs> um, I would say there is, um, it's such a diverse population. I really feel like I live in a, in a, in a town with deep, deep roots, but by the same token, people from all corners of the world. And I just have yet to find a city with a greater uh, population of, of people who want to just, really enjoy the city they live in. It's a great city. And if not for the fact that we were experiencing, we're recording this in late March and for uh, for full disclosure, and uh, out of the Northeast where, we, where I'm recording from, uh, we're encountering now our fourth Nor'easter of the month of March, just on the first day of spring. But typically speaking, outside of the weather, Chicago is just one of the most beautiful and fun and great cities to be part of. And, um, yeah. All right. Well, let me just tell you, your Nor'easters missed us. We, we, we don't have a flake in the sky. I know they did. I know they did. I will tell you this. When you're my age, you forsake the right to complain about the weather. If at some point as you're approaching your thirties, approaching your forties, if you're still griping about the weather every winter, just pack your stuff and move. Got (laughs) it. All right. Because I don't want to hear it. No problem. We're moving on then. (laughs) The worst branding mistake you've ever seen. Mm. The worst branding mistake I've ever seen. I'm not sure I can pull one that fast. I'm trying to think of, I'm sorry, can I, can I come back to that while my subconscious thinks about it? 
<laughs> you can absolutely. You got it. We'll, we'll do one more, and if it, if we don't circle back, that's fine as well. A hobby you most enjoy? Oh, I I love. Um, Cycling. I have a road bike. It's um, it's a dear close friend of mine. I'm looking at it right now, and I really love road biking. You can do it by yourself, and you can also do it with groups. There's so many organized rides all over the city and neighboring states. It's a great way to spend the day. And it's a nice flat terrain over there with a lake nearby, so it must be really, really beautiful. Right. So, Sima, Sima, tell, give us an opportunity, please, to learn a little bit more about you. Where can Lead to Succeed Nation find you? find your work, your website, more information so that they could engage further with you, learn more about all the fantastic work you're doing and, uh, and build really upon our conversation today. All right. So as I mentioned earlier, I am going through a brand pivot of my own, but my URL will not be changing. So it's March 21st today. You'll be listening to this sometime in May or afterwards. You can still go to simadol.com and that will be the best place to find out more about what I do. But I also encourage your listeners to connect with me on LinkedIn because I truly believe we are we are on this planet to help one another. And so if I can make an introduction for you or open doors for you at some point now or later, the best way to do that is on LinkedIn. And again, it's just my name, Simadol. And Sima's got a very robust LinkedIn connection base as far as I've picked up from all the interaction, from videos that she's posted and other content. So you definitely do want to get connected with Sima. She's a fantastic person, a wonderful resource, a great Chicagoan, (laughs) somebody who continues to help companies as well as individuals get their brand and their marketing the way it needs to be and put all of their uh, positivity, if you will, out into the market space. Sima, thank you so very much for joining me today on today's podcast recording. It's really, really been a pleasure. I know we've gotten to know each other a little bit, but I feel I know you that much better today. And I really thank you for your time. Naftali, thank you. It was an honor. And I really applaud the work you're doing with your podcast to help so many people. So keep it up. Thank you. I certainly will. All right. Today's leadership quote is, too many companies want their brands to reflect some idealized, perfected image of themselves. As a consequence, their brands acquire no texture, no character, and no public trust. Sir Richard Branson. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you could lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to pick up your copy of Becoming the New Boss on Amazon. Learn more about the book at becomingthenewboss.com. If you already got your copy, please make sure to leave a comment on Amazon. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.